When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's PK and Puyol or PK and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough. And as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy, all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content. Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. Welcome to episode 400 of the Barcelona Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Dan Hilton, and he's Emil Evanesian. And Emil, did I just say 400? That feels like a yeah. lot of shows. I, I realized that when I saw the email that you sent me earlier, and I was like, um, this is a, a milestone show. This is fantastic. Yeah, I mean, I guess what I should do for this milestone show is, uh, show is update everybody that I did speak to Frances, as always, the OG Frances Tomas, <laughs> and he is very busy. He is doing a bunch of things. Like he said last time, he's still working on his master's dissertation, which seems a bit too complicated. He even sent me a few pages. And I can tell you, <laughs> just trying to read through that for a minute or two minutes time, let me know that he was much too busy. But wow. someday, someday, he will be attending many of the World Cup games. I think he is, what, five in the first week or something that he's attending or something. So we will have him on coming closer to or during that World Cup break. Uh, That's crazy. We've been there on the, uh, as watching the game. So that'll be uh, exciting to do. Anyway, as far as the other 400 shows, I want to thank everyone as well at the top of this for just being with us on this journey. 400, that means that even if we did one per day, it would take more than a year and a half to do all this podcasting. So, or yeah, if, someone started, if someone just started listening right now and just did one show a day, it would be at least October, what, November of next year before they were done. Yeah, and I can tell you, though, if you do go back and try to do that, there are times in the Valverde era that are going to be rough. There are going to be times <laughs> in the Kike Setien era that are going to be rough. There are going to be times during the Kuman era that are going to be rough. And hopefully this show does not get added to that pile of rough shows. But yes. I feel like we're not going to be that complimentary of Barcelona. No, I mean, I, I think it's... There's enough to kind of dig into. There's enough to sort of take some positivity into this brutal week that's coming up. But I mean, I don't think we're, I don't think we're riding too high. I don't think we're going to set ourselves up to look, you know, particularly silly and overly optimistic. No, not necessarily. Uh, and then the last point of business, so really before we dig into the, the Celta review, the one nothing went against Celta de Vigo at home is that, yeah, the audio sounds a little bit different. If you are watching on video, you're going to notice that I am in a, it's not a new location, but I've, I'm back in Pennsylvania where I originally grew up and I'm at my mother's house. So we've got a different background. And again, nice. the mic is a little bit different. It's not my normal setup. So it's my travel mic. And so that's why audio sounds a little bit different. If you're watching on video, yeah, you're seeing some of you've never seen before. But either way, as long as the internet is good, we're in a little bit of an internet wasteland. But still, we're going to get through it. We're going to do the show. So let's jump right in. 
And as I'm saying, I'm hoping the internet is more inspired than what Barcelona were yesterday, because I would call that a Mio an uninspiring performance. Another one in the Liga, by the way, another uninspiring performance that does indeed, though, lead to a clean sheet and three points. But it again, is a third straight ho-hum, not great from the international break game. And so I I even saw um, Jimmy Eastian had tweeted after the game that there was actually a discussion that's going on online, that's going on in our heads, but it was physically going on between two groups of supporters. One group saying, this is rough. This is bad. We're not playing well. And that is a worrying sign for Wednesday against Inter Milan. That means that Barcelona are going to have trouble because they just cannot put together. They're not playing well right now. They're not playing well enough and they're in trouble. Then there was the other contingent that said, hey, today was about rotating. Today was about getting players some rest. It was about getting Frankie de Young a little bit of a run out. It was about resting Dembele. And it was about playing, I mean, this back line that is made of nothing and throwing them out there while Sergio Roberto continues to rest. And not to say that we're going to, we'll do Sergio Roberto later, but not to say we're putting everything on Roberto and Garcia, but they were rested a bit, did not start. And so we saw this makeshift fast line. And so there is this contingent that also said, hey, this was about suffering. This was about getting the three points. And the silver lining is that these are the kind of games that I know as Barcelona played poorly. If you watch that Adafi Real Madrid match, Real mm. Madrid won one nothing. They got an early goal. And then that one was as ugly as this one was. So yeah, it's that was not a like performance too. It's not like right. they, yeah, they didn't light up Hitafe. So it's not like Real Madrid also conquered the world and did these great Mm-mm. things heading into El Clasico next week or their Champions League midweek either. So all that said is that this match was about getting the three points any way necessary, and Barcelona managed to do that. As bad as it was, they managed to do that. So those are the two camps, Emil, and I I think obviously the truth is always somewhere in the middle. Yeah, I mean, I was going to say, I think in terms of just kind of my emotions and how I I feel about last night's game on its own, I'm in the second contingent. This was, you know, I mean, Celta, they're not powers, but they're not complete pushovers. And to be shorthanded as Barca are, to be smack in the middle of two vital Champions League matches with El Clasico looming after that. And then, you know, Bayern Munich looming not long after that. This is the the kind of three points that you throw it on the pile and you're thankful that you have it. And it's just about getting three points. You know, I mean, if Barca could win El Clasico and it's worth the same three points. I mean, I know it's not emotionally, but this is this was a job done. I don't even know if it was well done, but it was a job done. But I do agree that there was a lack of incisiveness that when you do step up the competition can can concern you. It's yeah, I mean that was that was real. There wasn't there wasn't a really there wasn't a great cutting edge. Um yeah, I mean they just they they got the goal that they needed and sort of slogged their way through. Now I mean the the hope is obviously that they can put in a better performance. I mean the the performance against Inter, I mean it it flagged horrifically in the in the second half, I thought, but if at home you can put in a an overall performance reminiscent of the more or less of the first half that the you played in Inter or you know played in Milan. I think you might not love your chances, but you you'll take them. You know you're not you're not going to be completely you know up the creek. So I think look this is a per- this is a period of suffering. You know there's there's severe shortages on the back line. There's need for rotation, need for rest, trying to get guys healthy. And, you know, unfortunately, this happens at the most congested and, I don't know, I mean, I guess almost sort of top-heavy portion of the schedule. That's bad luck. But, I mean, I think they, they did kind of what they had to do. Yeah, and there definitely are two camps as well. I think there's a lot less camps who are defending Xavi or making excuses for Xavi. Because, in truth, I mean, those are excuses to be made as far as the personnel that he has Absolutely. the options of putting out there. I mean, if you frame yesterday's win as a game where Barcelona were being forced to play their fifth choice center back in PK, their third choice right back coming off the bench in Roberto, their third choice left back in Alba, and their second choice left back as a center back, then you do forgive them a bit for understanding that they just had to get through it. But I think because of those big names, because Alba... as well, much Two, as he two of those guys that you named, they've essentially just brought in from the cold because mm-hmm. you know all the rest of the guys on the back line have been dropping like flies. So it's not even a pure, like these weren't even guys who were, you know, fourth and fifth string or whatever on the depth chart. Chavi had largely, you know, relegated these guys to, yeah, like they were not part of the plan. And now these are, this is kind of an all hands on deck type situation. And that's what these guys are. 
Yeah, I mean, and we are still, unfortunately, we are scoping it as it's Jordi Alba. So there are expectations of Jordi Alba because we right. saw what he was capable of last year. And yep. PK, and again, even Alexa Roberto, you expect that he has to give you something. And then, you know, we'll get into Alonzo in a bit. But first, I want to actually almost talk about the goal and talk about what Barca did well in the first half yep. before I really dig into them in the second half. Because <laughs> in the first half, there was a big difference. And two of the big differences was that, A, Rafinha played on the right, which yep. spacing-wise helped out. I'll get into the issues with that. But I think it was just more important to have him on the right than the left. That was just a bright side. I like him a lot on the right. Well, that's where he belongs. He can't yeah. be on the left now. But Gabi on the left, as a left interior, that was the big difference mm-hmm. that we actually had discussed. Uh, Levon and I had discussed yeah. last week this time. You also saw, as I told you in the second half of the intergame, Lewandowski was also setting up with moves from the left. Not from the middle, but moves from the left. And yep. they, that being Barcelona, were overloading that left side with Lewandowski checking to Gabi with Jordi Alba, and with Alba getting a bit more forward than we actually even do see Balde as far as that heat map goes. Alba lets to get forward a bit more and obviously got forward way more than Alonso did against Inter Milan. Mm. And so Gabi being on that left side as that left interior, while Lewandowski still wasn't really receiving much service, his three balls in the opponent's penalty area for the whole game is the worst figure this season. Like that is a worrying sign for Xavi. That's still the number that concerns me. Yeah. But the positive thing is that Gabi was getting vertical in a way that he was not before. He was getting into the spaces behind the the half spaces rather in between the right back and the right center back. He was getting in that space. He was pushing forward. And that was important to stretching out that press from Celta de Vigo in that first half. Now, the downside of that is that it is much easier to pull out a four, three, three than it is a five at the back, a four at the back and a Celta four at the back that has been shipping goals this season defensively is not the same as an inter five at the back when they're going to be solid and know their personnel. So that is the thing where I go, is that something that Barcelona can carry into this next game? What I am assuming, though, is that we may continue to see Gabi on the left and Pedri on the right, because it it seemed that you didn't lose. The worry was that if you move Pedri to the right, you were going to lose some of the things that he does so well and the control that he has over a game. But he was the same. Yeah, he was just as good against Inter as he was against Celta from the left to the right. And that is the that, that I think that's the silver lining there. When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's PK and Puyol or PK and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough. And as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy and all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content, everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data 
and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. At, at its core, it's kind of a question of strengthening, you know, how much can you strengthen a weakness? And in doing so, are you, you know, detracting from one of your strengths? Like, are you going from a nine out of 10 somewhere to, you know, a seven and a half or an eight in the interest of of strengthening elsewhere? I didn't see a drop off in Pedri. So in that sense, I mean, you can, he's effectively interchangeable in both of those positions. And I agree with you. I mean, Gabi looked fantastic on the left. And if you can get marginal improvement across those two positions by making that one switch, I mean, I think that until further notice sort of just needs to be, needs to be the plan. And they're probably the, you know, that's, that's the pairing we like to see there. And I think they, they played very well. And I mean, that is what I would go with, you know, at least kind of in this, as we go through this, the rest of this gauntlet for now, as long as it's, as long as it's working or even kind of hinting at working. Well, the concern then, though, with not even Pedri and Gabi, it's not about the individuals. And I think why the ire is rightly on Xavi right now, even with the personnel he has, the spacing is why Barcelona seemed to lose control in that second half and why they seem to multiple times this season lose control in matches and just survive and just suffer and just get over the edge. Mm -hmm. So I did discuss the positioning of Lewandowski, where in the first half, setting up on the left, and he was much more available when Barcelona were doing the uh, overloads on that side. They were switching play a lot better. PK was moving the ball well from uh, with those diagonal passes. Alonso doing the same, getting out to the wings, pushing forward and all those things. And then in the second half, Barcelona, not only... It's, I think there's a difference between Barcelona taking advantage or working through the wings and then being pushed to the wings. And Barcelona were working through the wings in the first half mm-hmm. and they were pushed to the wings in the second. Because... Yeah. When you're pushed to the wings, that indicates that there is nothing through the central channels. Mm-hmm. As opposed to in the first half, when the central channels, we saw some progressive passing from Pedri. We saw Busquets working through the middle a bit with Gabi checking back. And so there is nothing through the central channels in that second half. It was just Busquets, Alonso, and PK. And what happened there in that second half, I, I think, you know, I-, I-, I actually had to go back and look at some of it again because... Barcelona did stop building out from the back, surprisingly yeah. enough. They stopped building up from the back once Celta began to press in a 4-1-3-2 formation. So Barca would play long to very little success to either Lewandowski or Pedri, and Celta would yeah. turn them over and continue to put them under pressure. And as much as I praise PK, because I want to get into the good stuff he did in a second, it was actually that big old three, if you will, of Busi, PK, and Alba. I, th- I think that's kind of where the problems existed here. The ball didn't move quick enough with yeah. those three in particular, but the positioning in defensive transition was the issue. PK yeah. was, I mean, he was, he was great putting fire out after fire out after fire out. But part of that is him dropping deeper and deeper to make the space. Yeah. And then Busquets gets stretched when he's both leading the press through the middle and then trying to get back to cover the space mm-hmm. there too. So it's not like Busquets is again, doing something wrong. This is just a systemic failure when you have PK and Busi together. It's why last week talking yeah. to Rafa, we were talking about how is is Busi still good? Of course, Busi is still awesome, still amazing, yeah. still vital to what Barcelona do. And Messi is arguably still the best player in the world. But fundamentally, together would be a major, major concern, obviously, yeah. because of what they can't do anymore defensively on that press and all those things. So the number of times that Barcelona's press broke down, and this is, again, yeah. Barca with the ball, or, or ready to lose the ball, if you will. Right. So the number of times Barca's press broke down before Alonso and Alba. Uh, Part of that was because Alonso and Alba were marking the same man. And then that third free man for Celta was in the middle of the field to receive and then dribble right at Barcelona. And as I said, if you frame this as Barcelona being forced to play their fifth choice center back and their third choice left back and their second choice left back and center back, 
then all those things get forgiven. But again, we're seeing this as these are veterans of the game. And unfortunately, what they can't do seems to be not something that Xavi can tweak. I, I think more concerning yeah. that Barcelona are going to have to kind of live with these issues here. And as much as I was excited about at ball, I thought Balde was better on the right than mm-hmm. he was against Mallorca. I thought there was a marked improvement. Sure, yeah. mm-hmm. But but looking at that, not even the heat map, but looking at the passing network, looking at what he was able to contribute, he was kind of pinched back quite a bit. Wasn't really helpful to Rafinha. Doesn't invert mm-hmm. at all. So it's not a body in the middle of the field like Xavi wants. Yeah. So Balde was literally just trying to hang on as a right back. And the positive thing is if you start a back line against Inter of Balde, of Eric Garcia, of PK and of Roberto, things do get better. Like immediately based on personnel, things do get a little bit better there. Yeah, agreed. I mean, I think, I mean, what you said is interesting. The, that, you know, that veteran core is, yeah, the shortcomings now are, they're not questions of understanding or familiarity with the system or even just, you know, tactical know-how. I mean, we're now just dealing with guys who are older and, you know, don't, don't cover the same, and particularly in the case of, you know, like of PK, like you said, he drops back and almost creates the space that he then kind of shuts down in, in a phone booth when, when the, when the ball gets, gets up on him. I mean, he's still great in a phone booth, but you don't want, you don't want a speedy talented, you know, striker or attacker just bearing down on him. Um, And similarly, I mean, look, Busquets was never a, a burner and, years and tens of thousands of minutes in you know you just he's still he's still an an exceptional player but he doesn't just doesn't have the same the same range and when PK doesn't have the same range as well it's like you said there's no longer overlapping circles of of their range as Busquets is trying to Mm -hmm. man multiple parts of the field so you end up with almost these organic gaps that physically you know these guys just can't they just physically can't hustle back and and plug. And so, yeah, I mean, it's not about Busquets. It's not about Busquets like losing athleticism or not being as mm. quick enough. It's about PK having lost a half a step, still yeah. being a tremendous individual defender and knowing yeah. where to be, but having to change his position because he has lost a half a step. And yeah. so if Busquets has lost even a third of a step. Again, it's not about his athleticism. He was never that athletic. But as yeah. you said, the organic gaps have opened up now because multiple players have aged at the same time. Yeah, exactly. And they don't have, yeah. And, you know, when that happens, very seldom does one of these guys kind of have the sort of the extra tool in his tool belt to, to plug those gaps. I mean, you end up almost scheme around that. And, you know, I mean, it's, I mean, it's not exactly like basketball, but you know, like in, you know, if you have a defender, not even necessarily a bad defender, but if you have a, an intelligent, good defender who is aging and has maybe lost some athleticism, you have to scheme around that a little bit. You know, they're not going to be the same one-on-one on ball. I mean, in this case, PK is one-on-one on ball. He's he's fine, but it's more so as far as closing down space and what do you want to say? Like, I, I guess diffusing or <laughs> diffusing opposing attacks further up the pitch. That's just not a thing that happens very often because if that doesn't work, then I don't know if he can recover if the if the attack gets mm-hmm. past him. So yeah, I mean, it's it's not even so much. So this is, I think, where... Xavi has to get creative and, you know, like we're talking about fifth choice center back, you know, all this, like there's, there's only so much in the way of resources that he has to deploy in, in these areas. I mean, it's probably going to be, I imagine we're going to see De Young in some sort of, in some role trying to, to mitigate, you know, some of these shortcomings, but I mean, I don't know what the, but I mean, like you said, bringing in Garcia and Sergio Roberto in place of Alonso and Jordi Alba is just by its very nature is going to be a marginal upgrade at the very least. Yeah. So you'll be a little bit better off. I mean, I don't know if that's good enough against Inter, but you'll, you'll right. be better off. You can at least take comfort in that. Yeah. And then we'll do wings in a second, but actually speaking of basketball, yeah. I think Barcelona should be, while we look for a replacement mm-hmm. for Busquets, they should be looking at the, uh, the French kid, Wembanyama. Oh who, my goodness. I, I, I don't know if you saw those two exhibition games, just a little aside here, the guy gets from, the three-point line in one stride and is able to block without jumping. It's I mean, unbelievable. It's just, did did is, you what, see the he's photo? Seven, yeah, 7'4". Seven, yeah, he's 7'4". He's making Rudy Gobert, who's 7'2", look like he's like his little brother. Yeah. And, I mean, and then he's shooting He's shooting fadeaway threes in transition. And the with corner, like, smooth, smooth between goodness. the leg, step back. Uh, did, you see the, did you see the picture of him dunking from 
like I'm pretty sure it was outside the key. Yeah. But just with his yep. arm dunking over, I mean, yeah, th- okay. this guy last, is. Yeah, last, I don't, last point. I know, yeah, I know, yeah. I know. We know him in basketball, but <laughs> yeah. but but last thing I want to just mention there yeah. is that Emil and I have been covering basketball for a long time. Mm-hmm. Emil yeah. longer than me, mm-hmm. and I can tell you that. Listen, I was in high school when there was another guy named LeBron James, or yeah. I had just started high school when he was a senior, and so listen, LeBron. That was the biggest thing. I mean, the, the, LeBron James in high school at St. Vincent and Mary, like that was yeah. the thing. And then in 2007, when Kevin Durant and Greg Oden were coming out of college, coming out of Texas and Ohio State, respectively, with Oden at Ohio State, it was all, it was big. It was like, oh, this is huge. This is going to be changing everything. Women Yama, other than LeBron James, like this is the best prospect I've ever seen. This is yeah. a kid who's just, if he stays healthy, that's it. If he stays healthy, yeah. this kid is a lock. Multiple time all-star, just completely I mean, just, uh, game know, I, changing. Yeah. I mean, incredible. It's, I can't imagine a scenario where he stays healthy for the next 15 years and is not, you know, I mean, I hate to say this when he's that young, but like that looks like a hall of fame inner circle legend. If he, yeah. I mean, he, he gets a full this, career. He, yeah. He had this dream shake. He's hitting like Kevin Garnett, 18 foot jumpers. Like again, like three like off the back foot in transition. Like it, it really is kind of uh, prospects coming into the NBA. You mentioned LeBron. LeBron was the, the obvious sort of the, the, the ultimate kind of space alien just can't miss. But even yeah. when you talk about when Durant was coming in, it was, is he a little bit too slight? What happens when NBA guys body him up? And you know, mm-hmm. I think of LeBron and I think of Shaq when like the guys where you're like, True. oh yeah, this is just going to work. Like, I don't right. know exactly <laughs> what's going to happen or what it's going to look like, but there, there's yeah. no way this isn't working. <laughs> Can't miss. Right. As yeah. long as on the field, as long as he's on the as court. As long as he's allowed to play. Yeah. <laughs> just, yeah. So, all right. Well, yeah, I'm glad we were able to gush about him for that. a second. Yeah. <laughs> so, where I think Wembenyama, if he did play, well, I know he played footy in the past, but where he could play again would be in goal, because again, if seven foot four, that would be helpful. <laughs> he but cover the whole Barcelona thing right now, this is the transition. Barcelona right now have a pretty big giant in net right now, where Mark Anatar Stegen has been phenomenal. He really yes. has been phenomenal. Yeah. Stingy, and one of the main. I mean, it's been him and Pedri right now. And when we did the preseason, the preseason predictions with Frances, the whole thing about Ten Stegen was easy because this is with goalkeepers. It's either like, are they back in form? Are they playing well? Or are they or not? Is he on the way out, basically? Right. And Ter Stegen has fortified himself as yes. the guy in that for Barcelona. Inaki Penny has been good enough to be the backup with Tenas yeah. also floating there for the future. So right now, the goalkeeper situation is really good at Barca. And even yesterday, picks up a knock. Apparently, he's going to be okay. Okay. And then that 84th minute kickout save, which is terrific. Yes. It, it was pressured. It had the moment. He was up to the moment. He got the big save when he needed to. And then even in stoppage time, where there was another save where he punched it over, it was offside, but it didn't matter. Like he still kept the ball out of the back of the net, regardless of the ways that it came. I mean, you're not positive and, in that moment. I mean, he, he was up to yeah. he was up to that, you know. I mean, just even still, I mean, they weren't able to put it in the net past him. You know, I mean, even offside or not, like he yeah, he he got to it. He's, he's really dialed in right now. And it's mm-hmm. fantastic to watch. I mean, just cause I mean, he's also such a, he is a phenomenal player to watch when he's just at the, at the peak of his powers. I mean, I remember at his, at his very best, what was it? Maybe whatever it was four or five years ago, 2018, was, probably. Yeah. 2018, right around then. Yeah. I mean, he was just astounding to watch. I mean, you could just watch him as the, as some of the, the most entertaining portions of watching Barca just, and I love watching him play with confidence and, you know, he, he has his rhythm and, you know, he's, he doesn't seem to ever be caught leaning the wrong way. Like his, you know, the, he's, he's on the tips of his toes. It, like he really is. And I mean, as you said, he's just single-handedly saving points for them right now. Well, I, I think it helps his narrative because of what Courtois did last year. Yeah. That, you know, Barca's fans, especially, we can sit here and say, we haven't, there were so many times last year when they deserve to lose points. And yet Courtois moment after moment after moment came up so big for them and won them La Liga. They yeah. created distance because of the points that Courtois captured them. And right now, Ter Stegen is the reason why Barcelona is top of the table, very much like under Ernesto Valverde when they won that double that one year. It was Messi winning Barcelona points, and it was Ter Stegen making sure they did not concede goals. And so yes. this year, to concede just one goal in La Liga, regardless of the play, the teams that they have played so far, you can say, oh, they yeah. haven't really faced too many challenges. and with El Clasico, with Villarreal, that it's going to say something different. But right now, he has saved 19 of his 20 shots on target in the Liga this year. That 95% save percentage 
is That's the amazing. best <laughs> of anybody in the top five European leagues among goalkeepers with five plus saves. He has been the best goalkeeper in Europe so far to start the year. And when I say in Europe, I mean in the domestic campaign, because yeah, then in Europe, it's been something totally different because that goes back to what we talked about before about the systemic problem with Barcelona, that once that competition level goes up, now yes. Barcelona are having a, a few problems and even the excellence of Ter Stegen this year cannot save that off. So that's the positive side. And then again, even in front of him, we, I, I want to defend Alonso a little bit here. I mean, I want to do this. I, I know, I know you and I are going to agree on this, but I think Alonso was not something that you and I were excited about. He was, no. he's on a one-year deal. I, I did not, I would not have picked him. That's not who I wanted. Mm-mm. He shouldn't have started against Inter. It just shut that left wing down a bit too yep. much. Again, Rafinha there as well didn't help. But for Alonso, I think, and I, I don't want to call anybody out individually, but I'm seeing on Twitter this overcorrection where some of the quote unquote bigger accounts mm-hmm. are so out on Alonso that there's this overcorrection of what he is and what yeah. he is useful at for Barcelona. As I said, his mm-hmm. the he had some good balls out of the back against Celta. He stretched them a bit in the first half. Mm-hmm. Defensively, he didn't do anything wrong. And I think that's where I land on Alonso. That right now he has not done anything fundamentally incorrect. Again, even against Inter, it wasn't his fault. He was just mm-hmm. not the personnel or not the profile for mm-hmm. that position for that moment because he doesn't have the dribbling ability to get around that outside back, which is what that position had to do against Inter in that position. So I don't want him to start in, against Inter, but not because he's not good enough, because he doesn't fit. And I think that's the only argument that I can make against Alonso, that he just doesn't fundamentally fit in what Barcelona are doing. But we could even see his versatility. That's what made him fit in this squad because he can play left back. He can play left center back, apparently. And so Xavi is kind of trusting him to break glass in case of emergency, but the glass is shattered, right? Koundé is out. Araujo is out. Nobody's fit. So break glass in case of Alonso. And that's where we're at now. And But I don't think, again, he's not done anything truly cataclysmic that means no. he shouldn't be on the field. He should just not be on the field over other players who are currently out injured. Exactly. And I mean, I think, um, you know, we talk about you don't want to make excuses and whatever, but I do keep wanting to come back to just how threadbare this back line is and how kind of scotch taped together the whole thing is. I mean, this is what happens when you're unquestionably your top two defenders are, you know, get hurt at effectively the same time. And then... In the midst of all that, you're trying to cobble things together. And yeah, I mean, he's he's simply been miscast. I mean, he's a he's a veteran pro who can do some useful things. But they, I mean, you said it exactly. I mean, this isn't what his job ought to be. But just given the given the side that he's in and just given Barca's current predicament, he's everyone is just being asked to do stuff that might not be you know perfectly up their alley yeah i mean that being said you're right he he doesn't fit in that role and that's yeah i've seen a lot of the the alonso backlash on twitter i don't buy into the the backlash i mean i don't think anyone needs to be turning on him personally because like you said it's not that he stinks he's just useful in other roles but i mean barca don't currently have people for the the core roles of defense. And so there, that's why, yeah, that's why PK is back. That's why Alonso is being deputized in, in less than ideal scenarios. That's why, you know, Jordi Alba's back. I mean, this is, we're, we're, I think a lot of this, uh, the, the complaining about Alonso and, you know, anything like, broadly speaking, I think it's the, a specific way, a specific manifestation of people just wanting to scream that, you know, this stinks. Why are we so racked by injuries at the back? Look at what we've, you know, look at how much we're scrambling. It's just, he unfortunately just has, he winds up being the, the face of it, I guess. He's the, he's front and center and visible as some of the stuff is happening, but I mean, none of it's his doing. I mean, he's, he's there just trying to do a job that he's unfortunately not cut out for. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I, we've been talking with the Inter Milan thing kind of like looming over all this. We're going to do Rafinha next because I, I do kind of set up the Rafinha stuff in the lens of looking ahead to Inter Milan because against Celta with Demelay getting a rest out and Ansu also being rotated as well, it was a bit of Ferran Torres, let's see what you can do. And, and Ferran, I think in the first half, as we continue to say, he created space well, but no end product, wasn't really that useful, didn't work well with Alba. So Ferran Torres, it's another, like cannot trust him at this moment. We just put him down in depth chart. That's the way yeah. it is. In the case of Rafinha on the right, I mean, he wasn't great. I mean, I, I think he obviously is more comfortable there, sure, but 
He, especially in that second half, faded a bit. And part of that was he did not work well with Balde. Balde, again, not really too comfortable on the right side. Obviously, he's very left-footed. Yep. <clears throat> so he was not bringing the ball like around himself the way he needed to. And so Rafinha wasn't awesome. I just want to real quickly on the call, then we'll talk about the inter stuff and where Rafinha fits there. I was frustrated by the no call on the Javi Gailan tackle because, yeah. <laughs> you know, as you as you know, and as our my listeners know for a long time, there's a lot of calls that people argue about or sport or Muna Deportivo put on their cover that, you know, I don't really mention or I don't really cry about or, yeah. you know, I don't even say in my five headlines. I'll just pass over it, yeah. especially if it doesn't affect the end of a match. But why I was frustrated by that one was you either give the yellow for simulation because if he dove, he dove. one or the other. Right. Or that's obviously a clear-cut penalty. Like, yeah. it, something had to happen in that moment. Like, it was, the guy it didn't was just fall down. Right. It was, it was not a there's, – there's no, no call at all. It's either no. – yeah, it's either he gets punished for he dove yeah. and you accuse him of diving, or you go the other direction and it has to be a penalty because he dribbled around him. His leg was out, and it's and it's a clear cut penalty. And why I'm yeah. so frustrated about that is it sounds like I'm whining, you know. And you get obviously it's very homerish when you argue about a penalty after the fact. Yeah. But I was frustrated in that game because Barcelona were playing well in the first half. They probably mm-hmm. earned that penalty. They should have, in theory, Lewandowski buries it right, and you still yeah. have to make the penalty. Sure. Sure. But in that theory, they're up two nothing in the same situation, and so that yeah. control that they lost over that match when they were up one nothing. I'm not sure if it happens to the same extent if they have yeah. a two nothing lead. Like that changes the complexion of a game. Like one goal does matter in those in those instances. And oh, you yeah. know, I was actually in 2017 at the the Camp No when the two two draw happened against Celta de Vigo. So I watched in person mm-hmm. Celta de Vigo not care about a two nothing lead. But I think again it changed the complexion of a game. And right now the referees in the Liga have not been good enough. I no. saw I was covering MLS yesterday and referees were bad. Like it's, it's not even about the league, but there were some really poor officiated games yesterday yes. in MLS. I saw it in the Liga. Like there is just, I, I think some of these domestic refereeing crews, I know some of them are going to the world cup, but some of them need a break too. Like, I don't know. Like I, yeah. I don't usually get on the referees like this, but the officials have not been good in the, in the Liga so far this year. And it's been, it's been frustrating. Like it, it just, it has not been good enough. And it's not just for Barca. Like it's like against my, even against Mallorca, Mallorca had some arguments that things didn't go their way either. So there have yeah. been missed calls, as I, I think this is where I keep to these five headlines coming away with when I bring up a call. Like, both these games, it seems like games are either well-officiated and both sides can say, hey, you know, well, whatever, and it's arguments and we just throw it away. Yeah, everything or, balances out, yeah. I, yeah, right, and I, and I agree with that too. I think everything does balance out over the course of a year. But so far, I think there are a bunch of teams who can look at results and say, we were both hard done by because these officials have not been good yeah. enough. And you know the, there was there was all the inter stuff from last week and and everything. I mean, it's, uh, it's, Champions League that's a different crew even. Yeah, and I mean that's that's you know the, theoretically the the apex of the that's the apex of the mm-hmm. of the club game. And I don't know how I don't want to sort of point the finger at VAR and sort of say, but I think the the presence of VAR and trying to figure out how how prevalent it's going to be and how it's going to be enforced and implemented. I think referees have simultaneously either gotten super proactive with some calls because they figured that if they got it wrong, VAR might fix it, or they're almost looking over at their shoulder, you know, looking over their shoulder at VAR and kind of being maybe a, a little bit passive and assuming that, you know, like I think the the Rafinha, the, the penalty shot, I think was a perfect was a perfect call where to me it looked like a penalty. And, you know, of course I'm I'm biased, but still. But I got the impression that the that the referee was figuring he didn't want to make the call on the pitch. And I think there's a little bit of, well, they'll call me from upstairs if like if I if I got it wrong. I'm I'm gonna err on the side of let them play and they'll just call me. And I don't know, I feel like that before it used to be referees would make these calls. I mean, just when I saw it in in real time, I had no doubt. And then when I looked at it again, sure, Rafinha is fishing for contact a little bit, but it, but like you said, it was something. Like it can't be. Yeah. It can't be nothing. It's. Well, I think it's his reputation too a little bit. I think it's not even Rafinha's reputation, but I think there is some kind of bias when you see a Brazilian winger go into the penalty box and go down like that. Like 
as as like that i think there is some kind like of old flashes of neymar <laughs> just well right well or almost name any brazilian winger i think <laughs> there is a biased reputation that that yeah. position even and that like nationality does have in those kind of circumstances i just think you're i mean even expand to south american winger right you see a south yeah. american winger go down after what you feel is questionable contact yeah. but that, and it's one thing for the referee but the var i mean to to your point like it makes it worse yeah. that var isn't like VAR should be completely getting rid of bias. So even yeah. if referee has these illicit bias, like VAR, yeah. then get rid of it because you saw the contact. Yeah, well, what's really annoying about it is, yeah, the it, it, there's a little bit of a, a feeling of, yeah, you're almost disheartened because you're like, okay, so the, the referee who was on the pitch saw it from whatever angle he was at. So he didn't think it was. So it's like you guys all in consensus agreed that this was apparently nothing. Like this was apparently a no call, which is that that's doubly maddening. It's, you know, you guys have the benefit of no crowd screaming in your ear and, you know, you can actually sit there and in peace and kind of watch it back a couple of times. How do you arrive at no call play on? And I know they well, can't it, give, and I know they can't give the yellow card retroactively because of VAR, yeah. but. Well, I mean, that's maybe they, maybe they do have Florentino Perez yelling in there. Maybe he is on the VA. I mean, they, there's a very good chance. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, he just didn't, he just won some money. I mean, apparently you're not allowed to record him and, and ever use any recordings of Florentino in, in any way that, that don't reflect yeah. you know, very positively upon him. Yeah. So he gets a little more cash there. So, okay. <laughs> oh, we said all that about Rafinha, but that one play also, he also had a, another one like four or five minutes later. It was pretty good as well. A move, yeah. but. Other than like two or three bright moments from Rafinha, wasn't really a good showing from him. I already kind of got into that. But I think Xavi certainly does have a question on his hand at the forward line. As I said, I think the team kind of against Inter Milan, it's based on the last week and what happened against Inter mm-hmm. last week. And then this weekend, it's, it, it writes itself. I mean, obviously, to second and net. Then, as I said, it's got to be Balde. It's got to be Eric Garcia, PK, you know, at this juncture. And then Sergio Roberto. And then the midfield, it's got to be Gabi on the left, Pedri on the right. Busi has the pivot. Yep. And then up top, I think you go with Ansu because yeah. even if he's out of form, there are, his positioning has been better, especially coming yeah. inside with Balde. That combination against Inter last week kind of worked to good effect. Yes. He's gonna he can come in as that almost as an attacking number eight, if you will, against that Inter Milan back line. And then you pair him with Lewandowski, and then you put Dembele on the right, and then Rafinha come and then Rafinha comes off the bench because that is a good option just to throw it in there. And then Frankie de Young is obviously coming on in like the 60th minute to put yep. out fires. And you hope by that point you're up to nothing and yep. Frankie end up, you close out the game. And I think that is what you're looking at against Inter Milan. Like that's who you have to trust. And yep. that, you know, it kind of writes itself. Like if Xavi doesn't go with that, I'm going to be a bit surprised because I, I think he's kind of out of answers. Agreed. And I think, um, you know, Anzu is struggling for his peak form, obviously, but you know, like just in watching the games and, you know, reading this and that about, you know, what his, what his physical condition is and everything. And so now the talk all seems to be that structurally everything is fine. Like he's back at full strength. There is no sort of lingering this or that, but I guess there was a quote, I don't know if it was from him or from, you know, from one of the doctors or somebody, but it was saying that he's, he's still struggling to regain his, his burst, like that electric burst mm-hmm. that he had. And while that's true, there was a point in the game yesterday, I I want to say it was early in the second half, and maybe I'm wrong. I mean, it, it ultimately came to nothing, but he got the ball just outside the Celta box, like not on the left wing, but sort of outside the box, kind of up top, but towards the, towards the left, towards the left corner of the box. And he kind of fainted and crossed over and burst into the box with, with a burst that I momentarily thought it was Dembele. And so, and when I saw it was Ansu, I was just over the moon because even though it didn't come to anything, I was like, okay, good. Like if I can, if I'm mistaking explosiveness on Super Dembele and, and it's not because Dembele has lost his explosiveness, then that's, then that's excellent. And I do think it's now time to, I think on regaining his form, it, it's a little bit of chicken and egg. I mean, do you, I know Javi wants him to slowly regain his form and regain his sea legs and integrate him in slowly. But what if he just needs sustained time to get into the flow of the game, just have, have his rhythm back and get his form back that way. And I'm completely in favor of it because I don't think there is, 
first of all, I don't think there's a better option than putting Ansu on the left and Dembele on the right, just given mm-hmm. given what's available to this team right now. And I also do think that in the interest of now, if you're saying Ansu's completely, he's back at, at full physical strength, you know, it's time to, it's time to treat him at least, you know, like the, like the star that he, that, that we all kind of expect him to be, that he has shown flashes of, of being. I, I mean, I think it's time. And these are, these are huge moments. I mean, these are, this is a, this is a superstar making week. You know I mean? If he, if he finds it and he has a couple of moments against, you know, against Inter, against Real Madrid, you know, at the Bernabeu, these are, this could be a, a monumental week for him. And I think it's a gamble worth taking because there's, I don't see another combination up front that is just screaming to be played ahead of, you know, Ansu yeah. Lewandowski, well, Dembele. Well, I mean, I think about taking pressure off Lewandowski in the middle of the field, and yeah. Ansu is the only one who can do that. Ansu is yep. the only other forward. I mean, again, Ferran Torres on paper, in theory, is the man who does that, and people say that, but but in practice, in actual physical spacing or yeah. considerations of what physically happens, Ansu is the one who can take pressure yes. off Lewandowski. We saw it in the second half against Inter as well, where Lewandowski can get, or rather Ansu can get inside a bit more or even can set up inside a bit more. Yep. It's more of a physical presence in the side the box. Like again, the goal was scored because when Ansu comes on, it does shake everything up. And yep. then Dembele's runs at the, or crosses into that far post, make a lot more sense. That's how Pedri scores the goal. So yes, Ansu well, is definitely my starter the, here. The disallowed goal against Inter was essentially, I mean, Ansu that had, one, yeah, yeah. It, again, like, and yeah, it was just, he had a gravity around him. Just there was, mm-hmm. he, he sucked in multiple people and Pedri was just there hanging out when the, the ball fell to him. The, the way it shook out yep. sucked, but you know, it was, uh, yeah, it was kind of a blueprint for what, for what that can be. Yep. All right. So then last thing real quick here. Now we did not see Pablo Torre, Mark Casado or Shadi Riyad. And I do want to add this into that. I said it in my five headlines. I'm going to repeat it here that, you know, I kind of have to remind myself that I know that I'm excited about these players. I am. Mm-hmm. Well, Casado, I'm still 50-50 on, but I'm excited about Ch- uh, Chadi Riyad. He's just a physical presence, left-footed, was excited to see him potentially. I mean, I, I kind of want to see him over Alonzo, but I also understand the argument that you cannot sit Alonzo with how important he is in the first team at this moment. Mm-hmm. You cannot sit a player who's formerly played left center back in the Premier League for a 19-year-old making his debut. Like, you cannot do that to a player's confidence. Yeah. Like, I, I just, you can't do it. For Pablo Torre, as much as he, we want him to be an answer, I said it last week, we have to be not only patient, but we have to be patient with his adaptation and Xavi's trust for him. Yep. And a reminder, too, that if after two months of being at Barcelona, FC Barcelona, if this kid is saying, hey, the club isn't following my game plan or my timeline, or I mm-hmm. feel like it's not working, they're not trusting me, and he wants to jump ship after two months, like, we have to let those players go. Like yeah. we have to let players that are not willing to be patient and let them thrive somewhere else potentially. So for Pablo Torre, he will get his moments. Mm-hmm. Again, the Copa del Rey is upcoming. I expect to see all three of those in the Copa del Rey. Yeah. I'm excited to see them in the Copa del Rey. And even in the spring, like even if it's a battle with the uh, for La Liga late on, if Barcelona can get through this week, can be in the Champions League knockout stages, there will come matches where those kind of players will be trusted especially yeah. in theory, in practice, they're going to get more and more comfortable. So they're going to have that month during the World Cup to kind of be in training with Xavi, look yeah. at tape, work through things. So I wanted to see them too, that being Torre, Casado, and Riyadh against Celta de Vigo. And unfortunately, that game, because it was one nothing, you had to get your regular guys out there. And so, you know, I, I just, I have to remind myself just to be a bit patient with these guys too. And, and just because they did not feature today, means that they're completely lost to the wilderness. Yeah, it doesn't mean... Yeah, I don't get the sense that they're completely out of favor. I mean, the, the Pablo Torre stuff, like you said, is... You know, I mean, that's worth monitoring, both just from the the acclimation to the club and things like that. It's... You know, I mean, you he does have to that, play, though. Like, he's not playing for Barca Athletic right now, either. So he does have to play. Yes, yeah. And I and I think what you said about the Copa del Rey is right. I mean, I think that's the... Particularly in the in the early stages of the, of the Copa del Rey, where you're playing against lower division opposition a lot of times like those are those are the moments where you yeah let these guys kind of run wild a little bit and so just get their get their feet about them you know just get their wits about them you know find their footing and and kind of see what you have and 
ideally, you know, it's like you said, against neither Mallorca nor Celta was there a a sizable gap. I mean, you know, Barca was never up, you know, 2-0, 3-0, 4-0, where you can just kind of empty the bench a little bit. And even if you say, you know what, forget it. Even if we, even if these guys make a mistake or two and we concede one or two, but we'll still win four or two, but you mm-hmm. haven't been in that position. I mean, even against, even against Elche, which I mean, spiritually that game was probably a six, seven nil win. They were only up two nil until I think it was after the hour mark or right around it. And I do think Javi, uh, I don't remember exactly which substitutions he made towards the end, but I, I think he put, I think he made one or two of these, these well, types of that, substitutions. Well, that that game, one of the narratives that game was like let Memphis eat. Like yeah. that was one of those ones where I mean, and that's a reminder too that as much as Casado, I'd love to see him play at the pivot or whatever it may be. Like you had to get Frankie De Young twenty minutes in that game, yep. and then we saw how important Eric Garcia was coming off the bench and putting out that late fire. Like no yep. offense to Chadi Weah, but put Chadi Weah in the exact same circumstance. Does he make the block that Eric Garcia did? Yeah, agreed. Actually, I'm looking, and no, I uh, I stand corrected. Xavi did not make uh, so Lewandowski made it three nil in the 48th minute, but Xavi did not make any such substitutions. It was basically, and and like you said, it was let Memphis eat, and he was removed at the hour mark for for Ansu and Eric Garcia for Bayerin, and then Rafinha came on, and Ferran Torres came on in the 72nd. So I mean, right? Because it's more important to get Ferran Torres a run out than it is to get Pablo yeah. Torre a run out because Ferran Torres. As a in a strange way, they're kind of they're kind of similarly positioned in the in terms of their their psyche and their place in the in the pecking order at the club. Wow. And I mean, it's unfortunate, yeah. but you know, Fernando Torres is kind of it's a guy you have to it's like you have to figure out how to unlock him, like his his yeah. confidence, and just get him firing. I mean, he doesn't have to be the best version of himself, but just even a just kind of a decent version of himself. Because right now he just he looks. I mean, you know. Like I don't want to, I don't want to say like looks broken, but I mean he just he he looks like he's completely bereft of confidence, and yeah, I mean those are the moments to to do that, but but that's kind of the but along those lines, it would be nice if Barca had, you know, to your point against Mallorca or against Celta, you know, been up three 0 and you can kind of do that because especially as you are shorthanded, also you can hopefully figure out ideally one maybe even two of these guys shows themselves as. If not even a you know not not even a spot starter, but if if they show themselves to be reliable bench depth, you need that right now, and that would be a massive find and probably a huge boost to the players' confidence as well. Well, we are talking about Ferran Torres. That means I think it is time to pretty much wrap this up, <laughs> and we also do end this going full circle on the fact that yeah, it's unfortunate that Barcelona have been uninspired with their performances lately. Like not only do young players not get a run out, but more significantly. You have a number of important players who are healthy, not injured, who are not informed. So you have both players on the shelf, important players on the shelf, your two most important defenders on the shelf, and you have a ton of players on the attacking line not informed. That's led to some unimpressive performances. So Celta certainly worried heading into Inter Milan, but as the 11 with two, the few subs I laid out, Barcelona have got to get a result. That 11 plus have got to be good enough to get something against Inter Milan. So we will have that match review. Look out for those five headlines. Then I've got a show on Thursday afterwards. In the meantime, though, give Emil a follow on Twitter through the show notes at, at the Barcelona Pod, Twitter, Instagram, all that stuff for us. Facebook group, all that, Patreon, YouTube channel, merch store, da 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 Unfortunately, <laughs> if you watch on video, this wallpaper, not available on the merch store yet, but <laughs> maybe if people really ask for it, I can, I can have that be uh, well, a different style or whatever but anyway that'll be in different discussions for another time so thanks so much for listening to the show until next time we'll talk to you soon in Forza Barca Forza Barca